Welcome to Airwaves, the official podcast of the Naval Air Systems Command. I'm your host, Michael Lauren Prue, and today we're on the Airwaves with Mr. John Torres, the director of the NAVAIR Fleet Force Advisors, who's here to tell us more about this team and how it directly supports the Naval Fleet Force in exploring the concept for distributed maritime operations. John, thank you for joining us. Good morning, Michael. How are you? Doing well. So let's begin with your background. Tell me about your career and what led you to become a Fleet Force Advisor. Well, let me tell you, Michael, I'd prefer to talk about the team and how we came to uh, light. Between the team members, we have about 126 years of DOD experience with most of that support in, uh, in support of Naval Forces in various capacities. We have combatant commander support. We've had uh, component support. We've had number of fleet support. We've been on service staffs, and of course, we've provided direct support to NAVAIR. So we come with a broad sense of experience across each of the individual members of the team. On our team, we have John Bruning, who's down, stationed with Fleet Forces Command, the four-star command in Norfolk, Virginia. John comes from us uh, from a Navy background. We have Franz Ravello out at Compact Fleet, who uh, brings to us a very diverse background. He's been both in the Navy, in the Air Force, and supported the Marine Corps. Then we have Andy Masico, also a retired uh, Navy captain. And then I, uh, I am a 26-year retired Marine aviator. I came to NAVAIR uh, several, uh, 20 years ago, to be one of the first uh, V-22 operational test pilots, and then came back here as the uh, commander of the Marine Detachment on base, and retired from there, and was hired on. So again, we bring a very uh, diverse background to NAVAIR, very operational-centric. We try to bring the why to everything we do across the NAVAIR, whether it's inside a uh, PEO or a PMA, or it's inside the warfare centers or the FRCs. We try to bring that marriage between what the fleet is trying to do, what NAVAIR is trying to do, to accelerate that communication and be a, a good conduit between the, between the commands. So certainly an immense amount of experience in, in answering that why, but at the heart, what would you say the role of a NAVAIR fleet force advisor is? So we are headquarters employees. We work for the vice commander. And we look, again, broadly across the NAVAIR enterprise to see what is happening inside that enterprise. And then what are the fleet commanders looking at? In this case, Fleet Forces Command, PAC Fleet. And we try to understand what they're trying to achieve on an operational level and bring that into the NAVAIR arena so that we're as efficient, as effective as possible in producing whatever outcome we're trying to produce. So why would you say this position is so important, important to have? So it's all about relationships and communication. It's about right. the people. It's not about particular airplane right, or a piece of equipment. It's really about the people and understanding from our perspective, what are the commanders trying to achieve? Can I give you an example of that? Certainly. Okay, so several years back, I'm talking about five or six years ago, uh, Fleet Forces, the commander then at Fleet Forces Command was having an issue with drones interloping inside his facilities. He had these interlopers, but he had no one on the OPNAV staff to help him resource any kind of countering system 
to these interlopers, what we call counter UAS or counter unmanned air systems. What we did was look inside the NAVAIR arena and we found down in St. Indigo's at Webster Field, we were, there was a group down there, Rapid Engineering Group, that was retrograding equipment from the forward operating bases in Af Afghanistan. And so we were able to take some of that equipment and quickly provide it so that the, some of the priority facilities could be, could be uh, assisted. Now that was just a stopgap measure, but it allowed us at least to work on, on that problem set very quickly while the process started to catch up. And what happened next was that Strategic Command, the combatant commander for these facilities, put out an urgent need statement. And so that immediately gets the process working and focusing on, on that particular issue. We continued to play a role through that because we were advising fleet forces on the capabilities inside NAVAIR, and it turns out that in execution of that urgent need, we brought in AirWorks, another organization inside the NOC that could help facilitate that. Ultimately, the decision was made at the OpNav staff that we needed to complete the process, and we do this with entering uh, counter UAS as a formal programmer record. And now we have a sustainment venue for resourcing of this issue. So you see from the beginning to the end how we've played a role in those things, and we continue to play a role. As the threat continues to mature and we continue to learn, we continue to refine our recommendations on where to go or how to go about solving the problems. So kind of using that expertise to build relationships, connect the dots, get it out to the fleet, right? <laughs> That's our bread and butter, is doing exactly that. So what are some of the common threads you see throughout each of the military strategy documents? From national to DOD to joint forces to CNO's design for distributed maritime operations. We're in unprecedented times now. For the last few decades, we've been focused on irregular warfare, fighting an enemy that doesn't wear a uniform, fighting an enemy that is unconventional in its tactics. And we've had to shift our focus now, and I'm talking strictly to the conventional forces, the forces we primarily work with, to adapt to that. Well, now we have a, now we have a focus on force on force the chain of command from the president on down through various high-level guidance documents have told us that uh, the rise of competitors, peer competitors, is forcing us to think in a different way. And so that shift has forced us to change and adapt, and that's probably the best word, adapt through each of those guidance documents. And so we see that, that culminates in the CNO's concept for distributed maritime operations, and it culminates for the Commandant and the Marine Corps in something called EABO, or Expeditionary Advanced Basing Operations. And essentially what those documents tell us is that uh, we need to start thinking uh, as a fighting force that, that's at the fleet level, what we call fleet-centric warfighting. And the way fleet forces has gone about getting us ready is through something called the Fleet Design Campaign Plan. 
And uh, would you like me to talk to that? Sure, that would be great. So the fleet design campaign plan uh, provides us the guidance we need to elevate from tactical level of warfare, which is what we've been pretty much doing uh, for the last few decades, to an operational level of warfare, theater level of warfare, and that thinking to counteract, again, the peer-to-peer -peer threat that we, we see. That campaign plan started in, uh, with the CNO's vision for maritime superiority. What he did was tell Fleet Forces Command, the commander of Fleet Forces Command, to operationalize that vision. That opera operationalization became the campaign plan. And so we went into the planning for it in 2017 and execution in 2018 with the idea that we'd have a first implementation in 2023. So as we move to this fleet-centric environment and, and as um, we play into the concept for the distributed maritime operations, how does naval aviation, more importantly, how does NAVAIR fit into that picture? That's a great question. So by its nature, naval aviation is operationally important to the combatant commander and that's due to its maneuverability, especially at sea. You find naval aviation plays a huge role in preparing the battle space. And of course, when a strike is required, they can execute strikes without requiring ashore, large facilities ashore, right? Mm -hmm. So they're the really, for the combatant commander, the trump card that helps them get the mission accomplished. I would also say that the air domain brings unique capabilities across what we call the kill chain, right? A chain of events in order for us to accomplish whatever mission we need to accomplish. And Navier engineers are at the heart of that, right? They're the ones who are providing those air domain capabilities. And between what we've done, between the acquisition side of our enterprise, so I'm talking about the PEOs and PMAs, and the technical side, which resides in the warfare centers, bringing those two organizations together, working together, uh, really brings us a strong team to bring new, more lethal capabilities or to repurpose some of the capabilities we have today. So what is the role of fleet experiments and exercises in support of that five-year campaign plan and the CNO's concept for distributed maritime operations? That's a great question. If we want to accelerate and get, get to the, uh, solving the problems we have, it's got to take a drumbeat of many things, not just experimentations and exercises, but wargaming. NOx, the Naval Aviation Warfare Centers, are now executing something called the ANTEXs, the Advanced Naval Technology Exercises. So it it's getting into a drumbeat where we could take workshops, we could take these war games, we could take these antexes, we could take the fleet experimentations, we could take the fleet exercises and quickly learn from each of those and build on those lessons learned so that, again, we can accelerate what we call the OODA loop, the observe, orient, decide, and act. That's what the commanders want from us. They want us to accelerate so that we can bring them data-driven information as quickly as possible so they can make their decisions and move out and quickly learn. So I think 
When you ask about the experimentations and exercises, it, it, goes, it goes beyond that. We've got to get on this drumbeat of taking everything that we do and synergizing it and synchronizing our efforts so that, again, we work as a team to bring fleet-centric operations. So lots being done on the NOC, the NAVAIR sides for supporting these exercises. So let's talk strategic. How do NAVAIR's strategic priorities align to the emerging needs of the fleet? So Admiral Peters has done a great job. He's seen the guidance that's come all the way from the uh, president, which is the national security strategy. It's all about readiness, having aircraft on that flight deck ready to go, and it's about new capabilities, which are his two major thrusts. Building the capabilities that we need, the new capabilities we need to take on a major peer competitor. And I think Admiral Peters has hit it right on the money. We've got to get airplanes up and running so they could go do our bidding, right? And they do the bidding with the new capabilities that we provide them. What would you say as an organization we really need to do to provide support to the fleet that it needs moving forward? The threats out there are maneuvering much faster than we are. They're producing capabilities much faster than we are. They're producing them both in quality and quantity. And so we all must have a sense of urgency that when, when you think of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, those things will potentially be threatened in our lifetime. It will change in our lifetime. And so there needs to be a wake-up call. Each individual in our institution of NAVAIR, no matter where you are or where you sit, you play a role in this. You have to have a sense of urgency. It's just a matter of having this awakening to come to work every day to strap it on and get ready to, to solve the problem. In addition to that, 